It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 455 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. As always, thanks so much for listening. This week we're going to have two great Frank discussions. By that I mean we have two guests by the name of Frank. The first Frank is Frank Gogol from Grief, Dead End Kids, and No Heroine. All those are from Sourcepoint Press. He's got a new comic coming soon called Dead End Kids, The Suburban Job, which is described this way. Seven years after the deadly events of September 11th, three teens struggle with the long-term fallout of that tragic day. But these former friends are brought back together when they find themselves in the crosshair of a local drug dealer who's out for blood. Can they put their personal traumas aside long enough to work together and survive? Frank is one of those fast-rising comic stars, and Dead End Kids, The Suburban Job, will be in the November previews, which has not arrived yet. But now would be a perfect time to let your comic shop know that you want to get this book. Then everything wraps up with my interview with Frank Martin, the creator of Modern Testament Anthology of the Ethereal. He's got a new horror book that really got me, and it's called The Macabre Motel. And it has a Kickstarter going on right now that you can support. It's described this way. It's a Twilight Zone-esque episode about a trip to see a girlfriend, a detour to a motel, and the weird guests that refuse to let you leave. As I'm recording this, he's very close to reaching his goals, so I think you're going to see stretch goals very soon. This Kickstarter will end on Wednesday, October 28th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time, so be sure to back this as soon as you finish listening to this podcast. There's a lot to get to in this episode. So let's get on with the show. It's great to welcome back to the podcast Frank Gogol, the Ringo Award-nominated writer of No Heroine, Dead Ed Kids, and Grief at Sourcepoint Press. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing all right. Uh, yeah, it's it's 2020, but like all things considered, I'm I'm healthy and, and here to talk about this, so that's a plus. That's good. Yeah, I, believe me, uh, a lot of us are grateful to be healthy right about now, so it's a good thing. So we're in the middle of a big thing for you. There's a, a big announcement that's going on. Why don't you tell people about what's happening in your universes? Uh, so uh, my 2020 book, No Heroin, uh, just finished up uh, releasing. Uh, and with that sort of in the rear view now, we, we announced my next book. Uh, anyone who read my 2019 uh, miniseries Dead End Kids will be sort of happy to to know that we are doing a follow up, uh, Dead End Kids: The Suburban Job, uh, and uh, I'm 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 pretty excited to talk about it. Finally, it's been it's been uh, under wraps for a while, so I'm excited. 
Yeah, I, that's one of my favorite books of yours. I I enjoyed grief. I like no heroin, although I haven't read the last one yet. That's the one I, I'm behind on. But I liked what I read of no heroin. I think it's just a great book. But your your books are always I find them really engaging because it's a, a more realistic spin on stuff than say many superhero books and things like that. So I like the variety of reading your books. Oh, so thank you. So it's good. And of course, Dead End Kids, I really liked. That was my first exposure to your stuff. Even though I had bought Grief, I hadn't read Grief yet until I got through Dead End Kids. I think that was a Baltimore Comic Con. And I really liked that book. I, we, we've talked before about the, the kids and stuff like that. Why don't you kind of briefly sum it up so people who may not have heard that interview know what the, the book is about? Sure. Uh, so the, the first volume, as we have to call it now, of Dead End Kids uh, was uh, it was about three kids in 1999 trying to solve their friend's murder. So I think sort of Stand By Me meets the Hardy Boys, but a little darker and more more violent, uh, sort of a coming-of-age story for, for kids who grew up in the 90s. Yeah, we, we didn't have that. Uh, a lot of it was like the 80s and the 70s and the 60s and the 50s, and we hadn't quite gotten to the 90s yet. Um, so I wanted to set out to do something like that. Um, but it was also, uh, you know, as much as it was a murder mystery, it was really a, a book about childhood trauma and, and the way kids deal with things and, and you know, how, how friend groups take care of one another uh, when things aren't great at home um, and what can kind of happen to that when that dynamic is, is thrown off by one of the kids getting murdered. Mm-hmm. The one of the things I loved about that book were the surprises. There were lots of surprises as we went along. And I think there were three books, if I remember correctly, in that series. Yeah, three issues. So it's kind of interesting because most comics do four. And so I found that the number of issues was interesting too. Uh, was, I mean, did you want to do three issues or was that uh, – why three issues as opposed to four, which most comics do? Uh, th- there are a couple of reasons and some of them are, are a little more honest and some of them are a little more BS, but they're all kind of true. Um, the, the, the big one was honestly like I – it was my first miniseries. Like prior to that, I had done – a short story collection, Grief, which we've mentioned, um, but nothing to the the scale of uh, a multi-issue series. I, I I had written a couple of one-shots that hadn't been produced, uh, so like I'd done longer scripts than short stories, but nothing with multi-parts and cliffhangers and stuff like that. And I really was just getting my feet wet and, and kind of learning the, the sort of format still, um, which is the honest one. The the other one, which is a little bit more BS, was that it, you know comics are really expensive to make, um, and since I didn't have a ton of royalties rolling in from you know a, a huge back catalog of books that I've put out because I'd only put out brief, um, I had to kind of budget and and write smart and and do what made sense uh, that wouldn't you know so I keep the power on. Uh, and so the computer could run so I could write the next book. Um, so it's, it was, it was a consideration of finance and, and wanting to not bite off more than I could chew. Um, I also kind of liked the idea of doing something three issues. Like it had a real indie feel to me to do it that way. Like really kind of like, uh, I don't know, it just, it, it felt like the right number of issues. And, and I think that like you're right that a lot of uh, miniseries run for four issues or five issues or six issues. And like when, when people read so many things that have sort of the same plot progressions, you know, here's where act one ends. Here's, here's where the, the ramp up to the end comes. You sort of get used to where those beats fall and things are a little bit less surprising and, and, and kind of more like, you know, expected. Um, so I like the idea of doing three issues because 
it was just kind of a breakneck pace and and people who were reading it would probably be a little bit less used to sort of where the plot beats would would hit and and like i said it would be a little bit more of an exciting reading experience mm-hmm. has that been collected yet yeah yeah it actually sort of i don't know if it's lucky or not but it, it the the trade came out the last week comic shops were open before uh the covid uh economy shut down so it came out on march 25th um that was like the last day diamond delivered new books before they picked back up again uh so it's been out for about six months now good that's good now of course that leads into the new book into the suburban job is that going to be three issues uh no dead and kids the suburban job is going to be four issues um now that I've built up my storytelling muscles a little bit more, uh, okay. <laughs> I, I've got a couple of miniseries under my belt, um, and, and and royalties are are a little bit more robust than they used to be. Uh, I, I I felt more confident that I could do four issues. I also wanted to kind of give myself a little bit of a wider canvas for this story. Uh, spend a little more time with the kids, really dig into their relationships because the the book is is a lot different um, than the first one in, in some ways, while being very similar. Uh, and and I wanted to make sure I had the sort of bandwidth to to really dig into the stuff I was trying to do with the series. Mm-hmm. So what's going on? I mean, what can you tell us about this this new uh, the follow up series? Sure, sure. Um, so uh, the the sort of elevator pitch for it uh, is that it's about three kids in 2008 who are all the loved ones or relatives, brothers, sisters, father, brother of um, people who died on or because of 9-11. So uh, the new cast is uh, we've got a a young woman named Tori who is the daughter of a first responder who died on the scene at ground zero. We've got Brian who is the brother of a soldier who was killed in Afghanistan a few years after 9-11 uh, and then we've got Amna, who is a young Pakistani-American woman who is sort of dealing with the exacerbated racial tensions in the, the post-9-11 America. Um, so it's it's three kids all dealing with very different sorts of fallout of, of the, you know, the tragedy of 9-11, um, but set some years after the event. Um, we didn't want to necessarily – like it, it's a book that uses – um, 9-11 as a jumping off point to tell these kids stories, but it's not really a book about 9-11 uh, in, in, in that way. Uh, and I and I really wanted to make it a point not to do what I call sort of tragedy porn. Like I didn't want like to be constantly throwing 9-11 in people's faces and, and really kind of like profiting off of something like that. Um, this, this is just like the first book. This is about kids who are going through some really hard things um, and, and the focus is, is pretty squarely on that. Uh, but at the same time, it, it is a crime book. Like the first one, the first one was a murder mystery. This book is a, a heist book. Um, so it's, it's kind of, we took sort of the true detective approach, uh, same feel, same kind of aesthetic. Like you look at it, you'll know it's a dead end kids book, but different time period, different cast, uh, different crime. So, so we don't see the original dead end kids this time. Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there, there may be a nice surprise waiting for us, I guess, as we read the book. So something to keep in mind when we go forward. Because, you know, one of the things I liked about the dead end kids thing was that there was there were little things that were involved, like the dead end. Uh, the name dead end had a lot to do with stuff. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't want to spoil those things because I think you should read the book. Uh, if you haven't read the, the first one, I would highly recommend you get it. And uh, the the dead end thing had a lot to do with it. And there were lots of little, uh, great little uh, 
twists along the way that that I really enjoyed. Are, are you going to have some of that same kind of feel, or is this going to have a different tone to it? Um, honestly, I, I think this one might be a little bit darker. One of the things we that I set out to do with this set of scripts when I was writing it and telling the story was I didn't want to tell the same story again, which was why the sort of true detective anthology format really worked. Um, but also that's you know why the, the crime is a little bit different. I didn't, I just didn't want to retread the same ground. And then one of the things I did to really kind of drive home that this is its own thing while still being set in the dead end kids universe is um, we sort of inverted the original structure. Um, so in the first book, you've got these kids who all have home problems and, and they're really struggling, but they have each other and they kind of lean on each other, not, not to get fixed, but to just for support. You know, so somebody's there and they're not alone with their issues in this book. Uh, the, the three protagonists are friends who have fallen out over the years, uh, as they've sort of had their, it, you know, post nine 11 issues come into their life and kind of take over. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of antagonism, but this is very much a book about p- kids struggling with things sort of in isolation and not having that kind of support and then being thrust into each other's lives again and having to kind of put their sort of BS aside to kind of deal with the, the crime plot. Um, so it's, uh, it's definitely the same feel. Uh, I'd, I'd venture to say that this one's a little bit darker, uh, even. Uh, and the first one had a torture scene in it, so like it's uh, that, that's a that's a fairly grand statement. Um, but I, I think that for me, this is the better of the two books. Uh, the first book is I love that book. People responded really well to it, um, and and I don't think there's yeah any higher praise than that to me. Um, but the the sort of focus was sort of general. It was childhood trauma, what these people or these characters are going through with, with the suburban job, the, the focus is a lot more laser fine. Um, like we, we know wh- where these issues stem from. They all stem from the same event um, and they, they play out in very different ways. And, and just, just a little bit, these characters feel a little more real and a little more special to me. And, 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 you know, I had a really good time putting them through the, the meat grinder. Really interesting because, you know, it's interesting you chose 9-11 because there's some controversy right now, at least amongst the people I know, that whether we should even acknowledge or or remember it. You know, people say, oh, we're past that. We shouldn't bother with that. But there are other people who want to make that like a holiday. Uh, You know, there's two ends of the spectrum regarding that. So what's your take on that? I mean, it's an interesting choice. Why choose to, to do that at this point? So, so for me, it's, it's pretty personal, honestly. Um, and so let, let me back up and, and talk about how sort of the, the sequel came about because that was kind of interesting and it's a nice little look behind the curtain. Um, so Dead End Kids, uh, number one, the first volume came out in, I think, the first week of August last year. I was, it was delayed about a week or two. Um, so it ended up coming out in August instead of July. And then between issue one and two coming out, which were three weeks apart because of the delay, Sourcepoint Press came to me and they said, hey, this book's doing really well. It's critically received well. The, the sales were really great. I, th- I think it was the highest selling book uh, for a number one at Sourcepoint at the time. Um and yeah, they said, uh, if you wanted to do more of this, we, we would publish it. Like no questions asked like this, this is, this is, you know, you struck gold. Um, and, and they asked me, you know, do you have a story? Do you have something you want to do? And, and at the time I was 
writing no heroin. Um, so I actually wrote the first issue of no heroin before I wrote dead end kids. And then I wrote dead end kids, went through the production cycle on that and then picked no heroin back up. Um, so, you know, that was on the schedule already for this year. And like, you know, they were asking me a, a question for, for like a year and a half in the future at that point, um, which in comics isn't really that long of a time. Um, but like, I, I didn't really know um, anyone who read the book knows that I kind of wrote a very fine pointed ending. It, like it would be hard to kind of dig back into that set of kids and, and, and not sort of take some of the gravity away from the, the ending of the book. If I tried to tell another story and kind of shoehorn it in there. Um, so I wasn't really particularly interested in doing a sequel and the sort of stress and exhaustion of having a book come out and it being a much bigger hit than you expected. Um, which not to say what was me, but like it, it's, it's real. Um, and like at the time I just was, I was tired. Um, and I was kind of learning a lot on the fly and, and long days. Um, so, you know, I didn't have a story. I wasn't really at the time interested in telling one, but I don't like to shut doors on myself. So, so I told, I said, maybe, uh, like the softest of maybe is just to kind of keep the door cracked open in case something happened. Um, so then the, the rest of the series came out. I think the last issue ended up coming out in October. Um, and, and con season kind of winded up, uh, in October for me. I think my last one was the first week of November last year. Uh, and I finally had some downtime, like when the, the late fall and, and early winter hit and I started to think about it a little more, you know, no, no heroin was on its way and I had some free time to sort of think and, and kind of ponder it. Um, and, and kind of two things happened. One, I watched True Detective season three last year, which was kind of like what unlocked the idea of, of doing more anthology test style series. Um, so like I, I knew how I would do it. I just had to find the right story. Um, and and over the last six, seven years, as I've been with my wife and you know we, we've had our, our life together, uh, one thing that's come up a bunch was is 9-11. I, I think that people talk about it and, and that's kind of part of just everyday conversation at this point like for you know it just randomly comes up in, in the strangest ways um and we've definitely talked about it over the years uh, our experiences were very different uh she is three and a half years younger than me and grew up on the west coast in in san francisco right in the heart of the city so she's very much a city girl and she was on the opposite coast and, and a little bit younger whereas i was 13 i grew up in new jersey in a small town um called union beach that's on the southern shore of the raritan bay which looks directly across the lower manhattan so like on a clear day i could see the twin towers um in my experience being a little bit older and and like much closer proximity wise like yeah it's just night and day like then and, and that's sort of something we've talked about over the years like I, I know people who went into the city as first responders like you know people in my family firefighters and ems went into the city um, i know people who who lost their parents in in the tragedy in the towers um whereas my, my wife doesn't have quite as you know close relationship with the event but still understands like the the reverence around it um so having those conversations always kind of got me thinking, yeah, this, this is something that like, no matter who you are, where you were, um, it's impacted you in one way or the other. And, and whether you realize it or not, I mean, like so much of the legislation about how we fly and travel and, 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 you know, surveillance laws and stuff like that. I mean, it really does affect everyone in the U S and, and I have friends in, in Canada and Mexico and Europe who, who, you know, their lives have changed in weird ways too, because I mean, you know, terrorism is, is not something that uniquely affects the U S either. Um, so it, it was just the realizing the scope of it and, and what a personal connection I had to it growing up so close and knowing people who, who were deeply affected. Um, 
it got me thinking about you know how it how it did affect people and we're we're you know we're into the the 20th year of uh, you know the, the 19th anniversary just passed and you know next year it'll be 20 years um and it seems like it's still really really prevalent um you know we, we've got this sort of covid pandemic crisis going on right now and this i think will probably be the next kind of tragic milestone in u.s history that really informs what happens for the next generation um but looking back at like the last 20 years like i I, I recognized like the the scope and and, and depth of it, um, and and because of the way it affected me and the people around me, I was I was really interested in kind of exploring that a little bit, like that specific kind of childhood trauma, um, specifically how it affected younger people. Um, I I am part of a generation of kids who are the only one probably in most of American history who grew up in, in peacetime and we haven't had that since. Um, but for a short stretch from the early nineties to, to the early two thousands, we were really not at war with anyone outside of like some NATO stuff. Um, anyway, like the, the point is like this, this was a really big thing and I thought really hard on it. Um, and, and it, the, the more I thought about it, the more it sort of haunted me and like followed me around and wouldn't get out of my head. And I really, kind of fell in love with the idea of of talking about this thing that we don't talk about enough and it and that is how how kids were affected by this giant event that they couldn't possibly comprehend at the time or wrap their heads around yeah it's it's just a wild thing because you know i i wasn't you know in the area you're much closer to what was going on than i was i was in washington dc and of course we all have our stories of what happened on that day. I was at a doctor's office, and I, and I, it, when I got into the car to drive to work, and I at that time I worked at the well, let's say a metropolitan newspaper in the Washington area, which you can probably figure out sure. um, which one. But I was trying to get to work, and suddenly they let all the government people out. And when I, as I tried to drive through D.C., I couldn't get through the streets because people were literally running through the streets trying to get out of D.C. And here I was trying to get in, and so I. I got into the paper. They ran a special edition that day. I remember calling my mother and telling her, you got to turn on the television. Something strange is going on. And I remember the first time after all this happened, they grounded all the planes. And the first time I was, I was driving and I looked up and an airplane flew overhead. I hadn't seen that for a long time. And I remember how odd that struck me. You know, it, it's just, you're right, the pandemic is kind of the next thing. It seems to come in cycles. Every generation or so seems to get one of these. So I'm, I'm kind of glad you're exploring all this because, honestly, I don't, th- there is this dichotomy of people looking at it. They either don't want to explore it or acknowledge it or they want to, you know, acknowledge it so much that I don't think we've really examined what happened and how people have explored. So I think that your book is a great first step, you know, for some of us to, kind of deal with that which i don't think we have in a real way no i i agree 100 percent. And, and like i just i just want to stress again like this this isn't a book about 9 11 um there is one page in the first issue that with you know tasteful but graphic imagery addresses the events and then we skip forward seven years and the rest of the book takes place in 2008 squarely on these kids and what they're going through and and the heist plot um but like i, I just i I mean, if, if you read No Heroin and you read Dead End Kids, um, hopefully it's come across that I try to explore these very heavy, important things that matter to me a lot, uh, but with with a fair lens, like not 
putting my opinion on things on the page, but kind of letting the story show sides of things. And, you know, like with in dead and kids one, we, we've got one of the antagonists, Bulmer, and he's, he's this classic bully and, you know, he's kind of a Fred Durst kind of character in a lot of ways. Um, he's got the hat. Um, but you know, you get a little bit insight into to his his upbringing and what he went through too, and like you get some context for why somebody would be that way. It's not a judgment about how he is, but sort of, you know, here's how he is. Here's how he maybe became that way, and like you make your own decisions about it. And and the same thing with no heroin. Like Kayla, she's a really crap person. Like she's done some really awful things to the people in her life, but she's trying to be better and, and she's not doing a really good job at actually making progress, but she's still trying and she means well, and that counts for something, but it doesn't discount all the terrible stuff that she did do. Um, so like, I've really tried to, to be fair and, and honest about these things and not tell anybody what they should think. Um, and, and this book is very much about that. So whether you're one of those people who thinks it should be a holiday or something that should be buried and not talked about, um, you know, in, for, in terms of a holiday or whatever, um, like th- this book really isn't about that. Um, it's, it's about 14 to 15 year olds who need therapy and, and, and need to not be in isolation and who are dealing with these really hard things that they're not equipped to do. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a very serious, fair story. Like if, if I could stress any one thing about it, it's also fun. Like, I mean, the one thing I, I differentiate between writing this one and the, the first volume is that in the first volume, I love that story. I think it's great. Love the kids. I did not have any fun writing it. Like, that's not to say like I had a bad time, but like, like I never cracked a smile, like, or, or anything like that. I just kind of went through the writing process and, and developed a, a book that I thought was good with this book. I mean, there's, there's a heist in it and like, there's, it's kids, you know, who don't have access to technology and, and, or cars or anything, having to figure out how to, how to do this thing. And like, that was fun to write and, and figure out and kind of plant the seeds for and, and, and kind of make the payoffs count. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, there's, there's little things in there too. Like there's some meta commentary, um, about, you know, sequels in, in some of the narration and that was kind of fun to write. Um, like, so I don't want this to come off and sound like a, a, a dour book in any way. It's, it's definitely dark. It definitely deals with heavy topics, but it is, um, it's fair, it's honest, uh, and, and it's got a little bit of fun to it, which is, which is good because, uh, you know, that's not something that I, I got a whole lot of the first time around. Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like it's going to be a great book to read. I, I can't wait for the story. And, you know, but I, the reason why I talk about 9-11 as much as, as, as we have is because I still think it's a source subject with people. I think it, even though you've only touched on it in the book, it's still going to ignite some controversy and some discussion. Sure. sure. And, is, and you know, that's, that's not a bad thing. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, people are certainly entitled to their opinions and we all – deal with our, our stuff in our own way. Like some people don't want to talk about it because it hurts and it sucks. It really does. And that's not untrue for everyone. It's just particularly true for those people. And I get it. And look, I didn't write this book to sell a million copies. And if, if somebody's turned off by the idea, by all means, they, they don't have to check it out. Um, I do think that people who do check it out will, will be rewarded with something special and, and, and different. Um, and, and yeah, that's kind of up to them how they want to, it's absolutely okay if they don't want to, but I, I sure, certainly encourage them to. Well, you know, I, 
I've come down on the thing that we ought to talk about it, you know, at the very least that we should people. And I think it's great that you're showing that these kids are influenced by what happened that day. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, the the last thing is going to in the uh, issue four is going to be them acknowledging September 11 or anything like like that. But I think your whole book is going to show that on some level it does influence what they do moving forward and it makes them a slightly different person as a result of it and i think we all are slightly different as a result so i think think that's going to be it's going to be a great read i can't wait to read it these people and one of the things i love about your writing is that you make these people real in my head I, i i come to believe these people like i know them somehow and it's just a great a great bit of thing to do that and that's one of the things about it i like that you choose people that maybe other comics wouldn't deal with you know you've got uh, uh, superheroic type people and and you know they're going to act a certain way these are more real people and they're going to not do those kinds of things yeah. but on another on the level that i enjoy is that i i really come to know these people and i care about what happens to them and I did that in the first book, and you know I can't wait to see the second one. In a way, I'm kind of glad that you're doing different characters as the leads, because that gives us a chance to that their experience. They're still dead end kids. They're not the same dead end kids, but something about them is still. It's the same kind of thing as in the first book. They're having to act and do certain things, just like the first ones did. Maybe not the same things, but things are happening that make them dead end kids, which is the thing I really like about that. It's going to be fun to read. Yeah. Yeah. When I first imagined the idea, like the the book wasn't called dead end kids originally. It had a a few different titles that I am embarrassed to to, to say out loud. So I won't, Uh, I was learning. Um, But um, the idea was always that like the, that essentially, you know, the the name was the reason it's called dead end kids because that's what captured it. Like the fact that they lived on a dead end street was kind of just like coincidental, honestly, like I needed somewhere to put that lake. Um, So, uh, yeah, but like, I like, I always love this idea that like these are dead end kids Um, and like that it was, it was grander than like just, you know, kids who lived on a dead end street, um, which, which is why instead, you know, I, I decided to make this the sequel instead of the, you know, the book could have just been called the suburban job and could have been another coming of age crime book, not called dead end kids. But I really like that moniker um, because there are different generations of, of sort of kids who, who are going to struggle to have meaningful futures because of what happens to them with their kids. Like we have an entire generation of people now who are, you know, adults, um, in, into their fifties and sixties who, who grew up under certain circumstances and they turned out a certain way in mass, not all of them, but a, a great many of them. Um, and like you know, the, this idea that like anyone could be a dead end kid is, is really like, it's special to me. I think that that's a, a good framing device. Um, and I, and I, this, you know, God willing that the, the second, series does does well or well enough um i think it will i'm not too worried about that um i've got at least one more story for for this this universe and it would kind of be like i don't want to get too far ahead of myself but if i know what the last story would be so there could be five more volumes there could be one more volume but i know what the final one would be and it would 
know, I've got this idea of, of how it would be sort of a definitive period on, on the statement of, of dead end kids. Uh, and, and I really like the idea of building towards that. Um, and, and, you know, the sort of generationality of it. Uh, so it's, there's, you know, there's, I think there's a lot going on there and I think there's a lot to the series. It's really great. I, I can't wait to see it, which leads me to the question. When uh, is the issue, the first issue going to be available? Do you know? Uh, I do. Uh, so it is going to solicit uh, Dead End Kids Suburban Job number one will be in previews in November. So it'll be available for pre-order uh, November 1st uh, through the end of uh, November. So you got that sort of one month. Uh, and then it's going to run for four issues. Uh, so it'll be in previews from November to February. And it'll start coming out in January. The first issue will come out in January. And it'll run through April. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. Just, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to get it. I'm gonna make sure my my store, the store where I buy yeah. things, gets it for me. Do um, and that's a kind of a nice segue to talk about pre-ordering and how important that is. Uh, I think mm-hmm. we talked about it last time, and I'm gonna talk mm-hmm. about it next time too. Mm-hmm. But um, if you're if you're hearing this and that in kids a suburban job sounds like a book that yeah you you want to check out, um, definitely set yourself up for success by by pre-ordering it. You know, in, indie books there's no guarantee that a a, a retailer is going to pre-order the book. You know, it's it, they don't sell as well as Batman. Like it's not it's not it's just the way it is. So if you hear about this book or uh, the just announced uh, Scouts Honor over at Aftershock from David Pepos or, or whatever other indie book, um, definitely definitely pre-order it. It helps everyone. It makes sure it makes sure you get the book. It helps your retailer get it on their radar. If it wasn't, um, if you're maybe the second or third person to bring it up, maybe they'll order extra copies so other people can, you know, maybe happen on the book that, that might interest them too. Um, but if you don't pre-order it, everybody loses, you know, the, the retailer doesn't make four bucks. You don't get the book you want. Um, the publisher sells one less copy and, and the creator gets a little bit less royalties. And so it's like a lose, 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 lose scenario when people don't uh, pre-order. And honestly, I don't care about the money, but to, to illustrate the point. Um, so definitely get out there. And put in your pre-orders. You can just say, you know, Dead End Kids or Dead End Kids, The Suburban Job or The Suburban Job or that Frank Ogle book. I think at this point, retailers, I've got some some name notoriety with them uh, and they'll be able to, to take any of those and get the book. Um, and and you can ask them to, to pull the whole series for you, like up front. You know, they can do that in the Diamond system now. So, yeah, it's, it's four issues. It's going to be it's going to be fantastic and and for anyone listening who um is a collector we've got some some cool stuff coming too uh so uh for no heroin we had done a one in five incentive cover for the 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 first issue uh it was a ben temple smith cover really just great spooky art um and, and those those sold really well and people really connected with those um and and for the duration of no heroin, people were asking me, are you going to do more one in fives? Is there a one in 10? Are you going to do a one in 25? Um, but at that point, like everything was locked in, but uh, since people were asking and, and there was enough demand for it, we, we looked into what we could possibly do for, for dead end kids. So for dead end kids, uh, the suburban job, uh, every issue will have a one in five incentive variant. So for every five copies of shop orders, they can order one more of this uh, rare cover. Uh, these covers for the one in five covers will have art by Ryan Kincaid, who, if you're not familiar with him, he's just doing bang up work uh, on covers for DC right now. And he's, he's, he's really, he's, he's awesome. I'm very happy that I got to work with him. So he's doing 
a cover, a one in five incentive for each issue. And those four covers, uh, they look awesome on their own, but they'll also connect. If you get all four, you can make one larger image out of the four. It's it's super cool. Um, and then for the people who like something a little more special, a little rarer, uh, on the first issue, we're going to do a one in 10 incentive. So if you your retailer buys 10 copies, they can order one additional copy of this cover. Um, and this one will, again, by, be by Ben Templesmith, who at this point, it's tradition that he and I will do a cover together for a book I've done. He's done all three miniseries now. Uh, and he's made probably what is my favorite cover that I've seen for a book of mine um, for this this incentive variant. So we've got some really cool stuff uh, to help retailers sell some more copies and to help collectors get some some cool covers. Um, there will be a few retailer exclusive sets uh, for the series. I can't say anything more about those yet because they're not finalized and uh, or announced. But uh, yeah, for, for collectors, we're doing a lot to take care of you. But if you're just a reader and you want to check out the, the book, you know, it's it's just still a short miniseries. It's only four issues. Um, it's going to come out, bang, 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 bang. Uh, and and I think we, we're telling a pretty good story. So, uh, so a little bit of something for everyone. Uh, and then for the the speculator crowd, you know, say what you will about them, say what you won't. Um, they're here, uh, and uh, you know, uh, they they might want to pay attention to this book too. I can't say anything more than that, but um, I suspect when the fourth issue of this book comes out, Dead End Kids number one will be really sought after again the first issue from the first series um so yeah I'll, I'll leave everybody with those little bits something for everyone well let me ask one more thing and then we'll go talk about your other books sure. um the, as i look on your facebook page I, it looks like the layout of the cover is similar to the ones that you've had in the first mini series does, does that mean that the art team is the same art team as well or are you using a different art team uh, it is 100% the same team, top to bottom. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of like it's like it's like a heist sequel, right? You got you got to get the team back together. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, it's it's me writing, obviously, and then Nanette Svitakanen, uh, who did the art on the first series, and drew half of grief. Um, he is back on art and colors, and then Sean Reinhardt is doing his incredible job on letters. Uh, and then we've got Chris Mad, who did the interiors for No Heroin and the covers for the original Dead End Kid series, back for covers. Um, so it's top to bottom, the, the whole same team. Uh, the one exception is uh, without edits from Paul Aller, who assisted me on story edits the first time around. Um, but other than that, everybody's back. Um, cool. And uh, yeah, you, as as you noted, uh, the 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 cover template is largely the same. Uh, we we wanted people to recognize it as Dead End Kids book, but we also wanted to do you know so it's got the white band with the logo you know left the left aligned and then the number right aligned and uh, the credits uh, lined up with the the logo. It it looks really clean. Uh, I really like that layout. I'm, I'm, I loved it back then. I still do. Um, but there's some little things. Um, like we, we were a little more liberal with the colors, like the, the, it's still got that same one color solid, um, background with the, the gray figures over it. But we, we were a little bit more liberal with, you know, the shades and stuff like that. It's also got the subtitle on, on the, the cover, uh, right aligned with the, the, the number of the issue. Um, so it's, it's more of the same, but also its own thing. Hmm. Well, it looks great. I, I'm looking forward to getting it. And even though it's this is October now, it's not going to be in the previews until uh, November, I would still let your store know if you can get in there. Even the next time you go in the store, I would mention to them that you want this book. Because the, the, like the store where I go, she has a printed list. And what I can always do if there's something that is not available there, I can write it on the list. Mm-hmm. 
And then she'll, she looks out for it when she goes through and does her ordering. So, and I do tend to order. <laughs> One thing they always point out to me is you always order the, the most unusual stuff. <laughs> and what's interesting is sometimes they see what I'm ordering and they go in on it as well because they, they, it's they, a two way street. Like you, they the let you know, but you let them know. That's good. What, what's your, uh, your local shop? At the local shop I go to is called Crumbs World. It's based in Winter Garden, Florida, and they do a great job of supporting it. We went there because they supported uh, – uh, I, I was the editor on uh, uh, Stabity Bunny, which was oh, an indie, yeah. indie book there, and, and they really supported us. So we started going with them. You know, We actually pulled out of a chain store and went over to them because they were so supportive and – she does a great job of getting stuff. She she actually knows me well enough that the, the lady who does the ordering and, the, and she's the owner and she gets stuff for me. <laughs> there was a Batman the Animated Series statue I didn't know was coming out. And even though it was a $200 statue, she, she ordered it for me. And the moment I saw it, I said, I'm glad you ordered it because I really want that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. My, my, my LCS is all the ones I've ever gone. They've been great like that and have just kind of known me and, and, and taken the time to, to really curate good stuff for me that I wouldn't have otherwise caught. It's always interesting. I was reading a thing that boom studios had written about how stores are like second homes in the sense that, yeah, that, that whole business about the fact that when you go there, it's just something you have in common with people that you can talk with them about. And oftentimes we will sit and talk about stuff. And I'll often, I I was just at uh, a certain company's headquarters and we started talking about books and I started recommending all these different books in there. They're literally writing all these ones down about the, 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 as I'm mentioning them, because they were really odd stuff that, and most of them they didn't know. And I always have to tell people, I don't know why I have to struggle so hard to get the good stuff. (laughs) <laughs> you know, all the good stuff. I mean, not not to say that I'm a Batman guy. I buy the Batman books. And it's never a problem. But there are really great books out there that I always have to beg and plead to get. You know, and I, and I won't mention names here. I've, I I I do all this stuff, but there's a lot of them that I literally have to go after. And sometimes, for whatever reason, they don't show up at my store. That's when I. I comicsology or I do other stuff because I would rather have a digital copy and read the book then miss it. And so I, and I do, and I also, uh, others, I, I love crumbs world. And they know what I do, but if I can't get something there, I will probe around and look for it. So yeah, that's the thing you got to do, but you got to, if you want good stuff, you have to work at it and make sure that you get it. And pre-order it. Yep. And that's just like dead end kids. You're going to make sure that they know you want it because everybody thinks, well, gee, they know me, they'll do it. And, and, and like, granted, uh, Diana, who does the store there knows me and, usually can guess what I want. But every once in a while, if I forget to tell her something, I go, oh, no, I didn't order this one. So I have to you have to do these things. So, again, dead-end kids, you want to make sure the suburban job is in your pull list at your store because you want to make sure that they get they order it for you. And while we're talking about good books, why don't we – now that No Heroin has concluded, do you want to talk about th- that book and the reaction to it? You know, what, what your feeling is about how that went and, you know, how the stores supported it. What, what's your feeling about No Heroin? Oh, yeah. I, I could talk about this at an incredible length. This is something I think about this every day still. Um, so for anyone listening who's not familiar with No Heroin, I don't what's wrong with you? No, I'm kidding. Um, 
but uh, it is uh, it is uh, it's sort of my my love letter to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's about a young woman who falls into a life of monster hunting uh, and and you know fights vampires and werewolves and and, and other assorted ghoulies. Um, but really, at its core, it's the story of a young woman named Kayla who is a recovering addict um, and and sort of her road to redemption uh and all the bumps along the way um we we talked about kayla briefly earlier um she's hurt a lot of people in her life uh because of her addiction and and prioritized the wrong things and and now she's really trying to to do better but she's really getting in her own way a lot of the way a lot of times and and it's not i mean it's it's not just like a, a light switch you switch off like you 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 get clean and then everything goes away um and she's kind of learning that the hard way um it's a really personal book to me a lot of people in my life have struggled with addiction um my my younger brother joey passed away from an overdose while i was writing the book which was just insanely tragic um so it's 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 a, it's a really wild book um for me personally. Uh, so the, the book came out this year, uh, it's another three issue mini series, nice and tight, uh, sort of, yeah, a little bit of a horror fantasy book. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. Uh, so the, the book hit previews, uh, in April, which was the first month the comic shops were shut down. And, and I was, I was, I was kind of worried about like what might happen. Um, because you know we, we didn't know shops were going to open back up or if diamond was going to pull through this or you know if things were going to be delayed for for a year or what was going to happen um you know i always set goals for myself i want to uh constantly be improving and i said like sort of metric based stuff so i wanted my, my goal for this uh was to try and sell twice as many copies of the first issue of dead and kids so yeah that that seemed less and less likely as time went on this year. Uh, but, but I, I tried to, to make the most of the, the, you know, the situation at hand, like I, I didn't want to sit still and feel sorry for myself that everything was going on. So I, I made it a point to spend the, the early weeks of, of lockdown and quarantine kind of trying to connect with retailers and put the book on people's radars and, and also like spend a lot of time helping retailers. However I could, you know, we, we did some charity stuff with the book. Um, and that, that really raised a bunch of money for, for retailers who, who are in need and, 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 um, bank, uh, and stuff like that. Um, so it's, you know, it, it was, it was a crapshoot. We, we didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, but I think, you know, connecting with the retailers and, and, and making an effort to try and help them. And, and source point press was incredible to, to retailers and like that really helped them expand their, their footprint with, with new shops they didn't know. Um, and like, it was kind of ended up being the perfect storm. And when the book, the pre-orders finally did come in, um, they were, they were more than double dead end kids. Number one. Um, mm. so it, it was, it was pretty wild. Uh, yeah. Wow. All three issues have gone to second printing. So we're talking wow. about printing for number one, um, had some really, insane uh exclusives and variant covers for the book another you know we mentioned that the temple smith one uh we had a set of peach momoko covers like that were in the works before she got like really big and, and everyone was excited about her stuff so like it was just like i don't know man it was like dominoes falling uh but the, the retailer reaction was, was awesome like i i hand reached out like you know personally reached out to several hundred retailers and, and had ongoing conversations with them over the weeks and, and, you know, sent them the PDFs and, and let them read it early and, and talk to them about the book and how to, how they might sell it in their stores, like kind of what the, the selling points were. I mean, it was just all, it really, really kind of 
funneled down to like, like I keep saying the perfect storm and it, it just, it was, it was incredible. The, the reaction to the book has been sh- incredible. It's on par with dead end kids, like people, different people though, um, really love the book though. There, there are people who love both series. Like I, I definitely feel like I have like diehard fans now, which is kind of crazy. Um, like, I, I mean, like I said, I, I think about this every day and like, I'm still kind of trying to process everything, but, um, I, I, yep. 10 out of 10 would, would release this book again. Hmm. Great, great. But I, I know it's going over well because I look on your Facebook page and you're often doing signings. Yeah, uh, on there, and I see you, you you're doing those. I, I see the the first edition there. You are signing that one. That was just recently you were doing that. Yeah. So um, actually, so one of the things that like I wanted to do. Um, so we don't have conventions this year, and and I I do conventions most of the year. I do about twenty shows a year, about. Th- two or three a month for 10 of the months of the year. Um, and, and we don't have those this year. And, uh, I also do a lot of store signings I did, uh, 18 signings last year, sort of up and down the West coast and some of the East coast. Um, and we also don't have that. And like one, like I'm, I was, I'm just, I spent a lot of time this year trying to figure out like how to kind of evolve as a creator to meet the situation and still like provide an experience for fans and readers and, and retailers. And one of the things I came up with was, um, sort of doing mail-in signings, um, working with retailers to uh, mail books to me to sign for their customers who, who want them signed. Um, and then I didn't charge anything. You know, just, they just had to cover the shipping back and forth. And I, I would go through the process of signing everything and, and, and it's fine. Um, and like, you know, that, that's, uh, that's been really rewarding. I think uh, I've got a, a lot of people who, um, you know, the, picked up the book and and you know now they've got this signed version and, and it's kind of special to them and like you know i think people see stuff like that when when creators go above and beyond and don't just kind of you know let things slide and, and they make an effort like i think it, it's meaningful like i remember when i was on the other side of the con table and i was a fan and like you know creators who wouldn't kind of give me the time of day they'd just sign the book and, and shuffle me along and and didn't engage and like I, I, di- I didn't ever want to be that kind of creator and I made it a point not to be and, and this year has provided a lot of opportunities to to do more of that and in, in, in new and sort of interesting ways um, it's, it's definitely a lot like you know kind of managing all the packages coming in and, and making sure everything's organized and in order and I have to make a lot of trips to the post office these days but it, I, I think it's worth it like I, it, it would mean a lot to me and that's why I know it means a lot to other people Mm-hmm. Well, I, this is one thing I noticed on your Facebook page, and I, I guess one of the things to do to keep up with you is the, the Facebook page of yours. Do you do remarks? I, at least I see a nice. remark on there. That's and nice. I, I, I thought that was a great remark. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's kind of a, a great little thing. Sure. Um, so a little bit of like comic industry insider info here. Like a lot of people – um, you know, bless their hearts, but, uh, they, they confuse writers and artists. Um, and in more times than not, when they meet a creator, they'll assume they're the artist. Like, I, I don't know that it often always registers for people that people also write comics, uh, but just because the art is such a, a big, visual, easy to spot. Art. I'm, I think it's not offensive by any means. Um, but a lot of people, you know, Say, oh, are you the artist? Or, or you know, they'll mm-hmm. just assume. Um, mm-hmm. And then you very politely say, no, no, actually, I wrote it. I, I have a shirt that says, sorry, I'm the writer. Uh, <laughs> or I'm just the writer. Uh, but um, uh, one of the retailers who did uh, an exclusive cover this time around, uh, Trinity Comics uh, and Convention Services, did a, a really great series of covers for the whole 
series or a set of covers for the whole series with uh, Zoe Lachey. Uh, and they're just, they're stunning. She's an incredible artist. Um, and, and they offer uh, CGC and, and stuff like that. And, and one of the things they offer is uh, remarks from the artist and, and Zoe's in Italy. So it's like a really big deal, like for her to do one for, for people in the U S um, but somebody asked if I would do one and like, I, I, I don't know if, uh, yeah, they, they thought maybe I was, I was Chris and I did the art or, or, or maybe they just wanted a remark from the writer. I, I don't, I don't really know. But, um, Matt who, who runs training comics, he reached out to me and said, Hey, somebody requested this. Would, would you be up for it? Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, and we can pay you a little more. And I was like, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. And then, you know, they, they kind of made it like a, a stock offering uh, when they were, were doing signings. And, and I, I think I did like eight or nine of them that first round. Um, and it, it was fun. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm very artistic, like in a graphic design since I could do all the graphic design for my books, like that, that trade dress with the white bar for dead and kids. I designed that and, and I, I put together all of the trade paperbacks for my books. Um, so like, I'm not unartistic, um, and, but I'm not like a great artist with, with drawing and stuff like that. But I figured, you know what, um, I gave these people who wanted it the disclaimers like, listen, I'm, I'm the writer. I'm not Zoe. It's not going to look like what she did. Uh, but if you still want it, I'm happy to do it. Like I'll, I'll, I will absolutely doodle on these books for you. I think that'd be a lot of fun. That's cool. um, so I, I, I just drew a couple versions of, of a variation of the, the sort of, uh, emblem we, we created for the back of the book uh the, the skull and cross needles with the banner i did a couple of variations of that and then i picked one and i kind of like practiced it a bunch of times and i kind of got it down to something that i could kind of almost like a signature kind of just do by memory pretty similarly each time and then i just went from there and like it was it was kind of fun each one's a little different um uh yeah size wise and, and kind of like and all that but it, it was fun and it was different and i think it's one of those things again like where you, you go that little bit above and beyond for people and they appreciate it and they remember it. And, and those people are going to come back for dead end kids too. And if you do that over and over again in your career, you're going to build up a big fan base of people who appreciate you and appreciate what you're doing for them. And then like, you know, it's, 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 it's a marathon, not a sprint. Like, you know, I've been doing comics for four and a half years and I've made it a point to do stuff as often as I could for people over the last four and a half years. And like, now I've got a fan base for sure. And, and people who are going to buy, everything i put out until i put out a dud so i'm not going to try to um so anyway but i had a lot of fun doing it um, it was kind of nerve-wracking uh you know because at, at, no matter what i came up with i was going to be like oh this is this is not as good as what zoe did um but i got over it and then it was fun well, I, I have to tell you, know that that thing is, you know, I I I go with the writer of Stabity Bunny, Richard Rivera, and we get that question all the time. He's the writer, and they say, oh, "Are you the artist?" And he goes, "No, I'm the writer." And they always go, "Oh, oh. yeah." Oh. <laughs> so I, I I bet you get some of that reaction sometime too, because it was just I always have to laugh when I see that because you know he does the same thing though. He does remarks just like you do. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't you do your remark, of course, but he has his, he has his own little things that he does. So it helps. It's just the thing that it does is it makes that book unique. That is un unlike any other book anywhere because you have put your thing on it, and I think that's great. I think that's great that you do that. Great, good things. Well, these are all good things. Uh, of course, I want to remind people again, it's Dead End Kids, the suburban job. You want to make sure to let your store know. Uh, before I let you go, though, are there other projects you're working on that we should uh, be keeping up with? Um, yes. 
with an asterisk. Um, so I am, but I can't say anything about any of them, which is which makes okay. it kind of hard. Um, but I think that this is a good opportunity to remind people that they can keep up with me uh, on social media and the like. Um, I do a twice a month newsletter called Caption Boxes, which is really the best way to keep up with me. Um, I you know write about what I'm working on in there, what I'm what I'm reading and enjoying, uh, upcoming events and stuff like that. It's like a distilled version of all my you know, social media, but I also speak more freely about things. Like I, I definitely talked about dead end kids, the suburban job in there sometime last year and have been showing art and stuff from, the, from well before the announcement. So um, if you like sort of like sneak peeks and, and, and kind of, you know, not having to worry about algorithms so you don't miss anything, that's a really great way to keep up with me. Uh, but you know, if you don't want to share your personal contact information, I totally get it. There's there's Facebook. Uh, it's at Frank Ogle. Instagram is at Frank Ogle. I have a Facebook account. It's it's my personal account, but I'll, I'll you know accept most people's friend requests if they're fans or they want to create a book and they have some questions or anything like that. That's just facebook.com slash Frank Ogle. Um, any of those is fine. I definitely recommend the newsletter. Um, I've, I've been talking about some of the upcoming stuff in there, uh, showing some kind of like sketch stuff from the next thing. Uh, my next book is on the calendar already. Uh, it'll come out next summer, uh, also with SourcePoint Press. Uh, it's not a sequel to anything that I've done so far, so it's, it'll be something new and fresh. Uh, it'll be a sci-fi thing, which is fun. I've not done anything that's kind of hard sci-fi. Um, I can't really say more than that. Um, I can say that... Uh, between Dead End Kids doing really well last year and No Heroin doing really well this year, I had a couple of bigger publishers reach out to me about uh, one about pitching them and uh, another one that's even bigger about developing something original with them. Hmm. Um, so uh, those pitches and, and developed ideas are are under consideration right now. So I might have news about those coming up. Um, I might not, but it, it's, it's possible I could have four, four books come out next year. So who knows? Wow. Um, so Super it's definitely, cool. definitely, you know, if you like dead end kids, if you like no heroin, um, if you're excited for the suburban job, like definitely, definitely keep up with me. There's, there's a lot of really cool stuff in the pipes. Um, and, and yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I'm, I'm really excited about 2021 and 2022. Super duper. I, I'm looking forward to it. If you ever do a dud, we'll talk about it. Uh, I, I tend to be positive in these interviews, I know, because I want to talk with people whose stuff I really like. But, you know, you're human. Uh, I, I used to watch uh, Bruce Tim and, and Paul Dini and the Justice League and Batman and all that stuff. And I kept thinking, okay, this is going to be the dud. This is going to be the bad show. Yeah. It never, it never happened. <laughs> I kept, I love, they did do one movie that I didn't care for. And, you know, I, I it was a Batman and Harley Quinn, which I, I, didn't want i didn't see doing batman with all the risque stuff but that was that that was me but your stuff i i enjoy and i just i i'm gosh i'm really looking forward to even better stuff that's coming down the pike from you so it's going to be good stuff but uh i can't wait i can't wait but uh if you ever do a dud we'll let you know don't worry about that but uh, well the sales will tell me (laughs) (laughs) when you shoot one drop drop, you do by 80 percent. i'll be okay that's right okay this one didn't make it okay but uh, yeah, you do some wonderful stuff, Frank, and keep it up. And I hope people be sure to get out there and order The Suburban Job and Dead End Kids. If you haven't read Grief, I highly recommend that book, too. Uh, all these are great books and good reading. So I, I recommend it. Get to your store and let them know. And Frank, just keep it up. And I, I look forward to talking with you again when something else good is coming down the pike. Cause, uh, I, I can't wait. 
I, That'd um, be great. There's so I, I wish I could talk about some of the stuff that's in development, and I wish I could talk about wh- who it's with, um, <laughs> but I can't because I'm a professional. Um, right. But if you subscribe to newsletter, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm maybe liable to let it slip once in a while. So I, I don't know. Okay. Um, but right. thank you for having me. Um, I think I said this last time. I'll probably say it next time. But um, I, th- this is your Sunday morning. You're going to spend time editing this and, and and posting it to all the places it's available, um, and and you know promoting it through your social media and all that. And I'm just I just got to sit here and talk about myself for a little while. So I, I appreciate your time and I appreciate you and and you know, allowing me to to use your platform to talk to your audience. Well, it's always great to talk with you, and I, I can't wait to read this. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that when I get to the store this week that I tell them about the suburban job, that I want to be sure we get that. Please so, do. All right, we'll do that. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News. Interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. Steve was on his way to see his girlfriend when he was forced to rest for a bit at our tasty abode. He met fabulous residents like Chester and Phil, and of course, good old grumpy Delilah. We weren't too happy when Steve decided to leave us, though, so we did everything we could to make him stay. It's always a pleasure to talk with Frank Martin, the creator of such wonderful things as Modern Testament, Anthology of the Ethereal, and has a new interesting book out that's out on Kickstarter right now. How are you doing, Frank? Hey, Wayne's always great to chat with you. I've got a question because when I looked at your Kickstarter, you have an, a, a video. And you, you have a video. You're the first person to mention the video. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I always pronounce it macabre, uh-huh. but you, you pronounce it something different. You macabre? How did you pronounce it? You know what? It's kind of weird. I didn't even think about it when I, I knew what the word means, but I didn't know how to pronounce it as, mm. as ridiculous as that sound. And I made it the title of my book. So when I started talking to people, I'm like, maybe I should actually look up how you say this word. And you can either say it macabre or macabre. It turns out macabre is not one of the choices. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it is the, the little history lesson is that it's a French word. Macabre is the pr- uh, proper way to say it, except us Americans uh, steal everything, brutalize it, and then normalize it. So we started saying macabre, and then we say, okay, that's good. So now in the dictionary, there's two different pronunciations. One, the original French, and two, the Americanized uh, thievery version. Anyway, this is a long way of getting to the fact that it's actually <laughs> called the ma- the Macabre Motel is, I think the reason we put the R on the end is so people know how to spell it. There's a, that E on the end that drives people nuts. So it's called the Macabre, I guess if you want to say French, the Macabre however Motel. You to, however you want to say it, by <laughs> me. It's a freaking place. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> well, it's your book. So you, how do you want to pronounce it? Macabre. 
Macabre. Okay, so we're Americanizing. We're going. It's described on Kickstarter as a Twilight Zone esque episode about a trip to see a girlfriend, a detour to a motel, and the weird guests that refuse to let you leave. This I, I wrote a little uh, um, uh, a phrase for you to use because this book is haunting to me. <laughs> I have the word you used which ironically enough other people have used as well was unsettling was the, yeah. was the word that was, was I, I kept coming back to that word because I heard it used a bunch of times. No, it, it's it, I, haunting is I just reread it before we started to talk about it. Cause I, well, why don't you talk a little bit about what the story is about? Maybe that'll help people get to understand why I'm struggling with the description here. <laughs> well, the story is, is fairly straightforward. It's as uh, you described in the little subtitle there. A guy is on his way to see his girlfriend. He It's getting late, so he decides to stop off at a motel, which is maybe a similar scenario to what we've all gone through sometimes on the road later night. And it's a freaky, old, weird motel. It gives off some creepy vibes. And he meets a bunch of strange characters and things start becoming more bizarre the longer he stays there. And by the time he realizes that I got to get out of here, it's it's a little too late. They kind of have him in in their grasp, and he's he's stuck there for the time being. Oh, it, now I have to ask: Is this a one shot? It is a one shot. That's the question on everyone's minds. Everyone's <laughs> that they said because they say, well, number one, they say the main character uh, himself could have a continuation of the story. And then they say each of the characters, even though you see them for such brief periods of time, they're so fleshed out and they leave such an impression on you that you can do a story based on any one of them. And they, and then I hear the motel itself is like its own character. You could do a whole bunch of different stories with a bunch of different characters and just leave the motel. So it's, yeah, I hear all the time, but this is a one shot. I kind of, it's like a Twilight Zone episode where you get in, you, you get a story and then it's over. You, you're left satisfying, but maybe not, maybe hungry for more. But for right now, uh, this story is all you get. Okay. This book haunts me. And I'll tell you why, because, you know, before the pandemic hit, uh, I was going to many comic book conventions. And depending on how long it took us to get places, we would often stop, you know, at a, and often in a place like this. You know, in the middle of no place, you'd find a little motel that was dirt cheap and, you know, you get what you pay for kind of thing. And we would go in there and we would stay there. And let me tell you, we were glad to get out in the morning. <laughs> so I, I this this rings real to me. <laughs> I, I can think of one in particular, and I'm really sorry, Night's End, that I have to call you out by name. But we were, I think, in the middle of North Carolina, and we were driving along, and we couldn't go any further. We had to be able to stop, and we came across this this uh, night's inn, and we went and got, we pulled off the road, and we had to go a ways off the main road until we finally get to it. And it really, you know, I'm really sorry, but it was kind of a dump. And, you know, we get into the room, and it's not very appealing in there. And, you know, of course, we want to... All we want to do is crash and get as much sleep as we can. But there's people wandering around at night. And we were like, ah. 
I, I couldn't, you know, uh, it was hard to sleep. But let me tell you, when the sun came up, we were, it wasn't, sun wasn't up long before we were in the car out of there. Because I, I hope you don't sue me for stealing your story. <laughs> no. But, um, but no, I think that a lot, this story hits a lot of people because although it's such a surrealist story, although it, t- it becomes so bizarre and out there and weird, there's a lot of relatable notes in there a lot of um a lot of stuff that resonates with people one being the scenario itself as you described is coming to a motel or someplace that's not your home that you have to stay over and also the people itself the characters in the story a lot of them are people say i know somebody just like that you know there's there's a bunch of characters and they even though they're so quirky and bizarre and really out there by the end when you first meet them they give off an impression of people that you know in real life. So it's this story def- definitely hits home for a lot of people, even though it's just so, so surreal. Now, I have to ask, is this based on an experience that you had? Or is not this fiction for you? Not particularly, no. I mean, like you, I've stayed in a couple no-tell motels that are off the beaten path that are probably um, – the room is dirt cheap and it's still too expensive than it should be. But, um, but no, I did not have a – something so similar in a, in plot that I was just uh, surrounded by people who would not leave, let me escape the motel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, you know, it, it starts out, you know, the guy in the middle of the night apparently is driving along and he's going to stop and he gets directed there. That was the, the, my first clue that this was a problem. He gets directed by the girlfriend to go there. And when he gets there, even though it's it's obviously late, he discovers Delilah is standing outside. Yes. You know, I, I, I don't want to spoil too much, but I got to say right then I know something's up. This is not a good thing. <laughs> you know, if the whole, if the motel lets this person stand out there, this is not a good sign. And then he gets the room and as soon as he opens the door and he's got the key in his hand, there's somebody else standing there. And the moment I saw that, I went, oh, my gosh. If it it was me, I would have dropped the keys and got in the car immediately and and left. But and as they go along, you know, in the middle of the night, there's all these people. They're just kind of hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a very – I mean, the motel is – this particular motel, it's not your average place of business. You know, it's it's very friendly, very informal, very loose – it's kind of like who's running this joint, and and uh, the thing I love most about this story is that we've all encountered very weird people that made us feel uncomfortable, you know. And we always tell ourselves, "Look, I might have to deal with this person for ever, however long I deal with them. It could be brief, it could be ten seconds. If you're in a meeting, it could be like half an hour." And you say to yourself, "Look, I just got to stomach through this encounter." I just got to deal with this weird, awkward, uncomfortable person who's super annoying. And then once it's over, I'm done. I'm out of there and I'm on with my life. And I think our main character, Steve, that's what he tells himself. You know, he meets these people. They're super weird, but he's just like, this is just for a night. I'm just here to get a couple hours sleep. I'm gone in the morning. I never have to worry about these people ever again. And it turns out that's not the way it goes down. So I think that's what makes it so, so scary that he's, he was just expecting there to be for a little bit. And it's, that's not the case. 
See, now, now for me, the people who are there, are these, uh, <laughs> are these figments of your imagination? Are these based on people you have encountered? Where did these people come from? I think it's a combination of things. They're all, they're all pretty much original creations, but we're all in one way or another affected by subconscious encounters, whether it be in real life or whether it be through a movie or a TV show that we've seen. So I could definitely point to a character and then point to different influences, both real and fictional that created that character. But yeah, for the most part, when I came up with these people, I'm just thinking to myself, I need to make the weirdest, creepiest, most unsettling uh, characters imaginable. So I had a good time just coming up with them, just throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what worked because in a story like this, there's never, it doesn't have to ha- be grounded in reality. You know, you don't have to look at that person and say, ah, that's not realistic. That doesn't make any sense. Not making sense is what makes this story flow. So I kind of just went with wh- whatever I wanted. Now, I have to ask because in the video, you refer to the motel as our motel. <laughs> I was being a little a little cheeky. I was just kind of – I was acting as the, the motel owner in the video. So okay. I had a good time with that, with that video. I was, I was super, it was super weird. And I decided just to get kind of weird myself. I wore a, I don't know if you saw my complete ensemble. I wore a mm-hmm. tuxedo shirt and jacket. Mm-hmm. And I wore um, a pajama pants and a bucket hat. And I was sipping an orange, uh, an apple juice in front of a roaring fire. I was thought that's as weird as I could possibly get. So See, what, the way you said that made me wonder if you had written yourself into this story. <laughs> Not not on purpose, but you know, I, it's a little bit of a badge of honor. You know, I created this motel. I created these, these people that are in it. So to call it my motel and that these are all my people and that I, I, I run the joint. Yeah. It's a little bit, a little bit of pride there. <laughs> uh, I love the cover. The cover is great because you've got this motel with a, with a usual motel sign. You know, that's the way that they look. But the motel is actually wrapped around Steve. Mm-hmm. Around, and I, I love that cover because that is the way that you feel with this whole business. I, who did the cover? So Ryan Lee did the cover. He's a great artist. He's done work for Marvel right now. He's killing it on um, on Mountainhead, written, uh, published by IDW, written by John Lee's, a great horror story. And I saw the the artwork in Mountainhead. It's super out there. It's super weird, super bizarre. And I said, I would love to see his version of a cover for this. And I had this idea for a cover um, where it was basically, it was basically the motel was sitting on an island and then the sign extends up and then the logo is in the sign, which Dave Lentz put together, uh, did the final touches on the logo, which looked phenomenal. I don't, I, when you have this idea in your head about how you want something to look, you have no, no idea how the artists are actually going to pull it off. And Dave did a great job making the logo seamless with the art. Mm-hmm. And Ryan just took it to a whole nother level where he, he took my original idea of, of having an island and the, the motel and then just decided to go crazy with the island and have it wrap around Steve. And, and mm-hmm. I, that was all him. And he did a phenomenal job with it. It really it encapsulates the feeling of the story very well. It's it's a, the one I want to see, and I, I I don't I didn't see it on the Kickstarter page. Is Luke Cooper's because you guys worked together on a on a book uh, not that long ago, and I, I I didn't get to see his. Sometime I want to see his cover because I'd oh, be curious it, it, to see. How. It, it's on there. It's just it it's is. A little, it's a little buried. It's on the bottom tier 
uh, for the variance. I have a picture of his and Ryan Krobos. And you know what? I am going to – I don't know if you have Facebook pulled up. I can message it to you right away just so you can okay. see during our little podcast. Okay, because I'm fascinated because Luke, of course, does Hollow Girl. Yes, and we, I, did, we did Hollow Testament together last year, last February. Man, that was a long time ago. Wow, so, it's hard to believe it's been that long. Man. So, so yeah, I had two varying covers, one by Luke, one by Ryan, and I basically gave them the story and said, whatever you want to pick a character, and then how whatever character you choose, just go crazy and oh, make whatever cover you want. I see. So I just sent it over to you. That's his version. And yeah, that that's that's Luke. All right, you're right. <laughs> We're not. I don't want to. It's it's a it's a character that's in the story. Yeah, and, and I I mean it, it's it's a cover, so it doesn't really. It's not really a spoiler. But um, but we're, I'm not going to talk about it just in case people read no. the story and they don't want to. Yeah, no, no, I, we don't want to spoil things. I, I like to tease, but I don't want. But if you're familiar with Luke Cooper's artwork, this is a per, this is Luke Cooper's artwork. <laughs> yeah. I think he was. I think it really. Um, he it, it drafted. I sent him the story, and he goes, "I'm kind of jammed up. I don't have that much time. When do you need this by?" I'm like, "Whenever you get it to me, man, it's fine by me." And I sent him over the story. He goes, "I'm done with the cover." I go, "What?" Because <laughs> yeah, I read it, and I just went right into making the covers. So I think it, he had a little fit of inspiration, decided to to run with it. Mm, it's 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 Luke. I have to say, <laughs> having read Hollow Girl and some of his stuff, it, it, that is just right. The the way that the characters is looking at us, basically, it's that's the Luke Cooper stare. He loves, yeah. <laughs> that is excellent. I have to say, I I just this this story just. Uh, the end. I, I gotta talk a little bit about the end without spoiling it. We could be we could be sneaky and KG and, uh, and talk about. Yeah, because I don't want to spoil it. Because when you get to the end, let me tell you: if, if you weren't spooked out before, then you will be when you get to the end. So it's it's an amazingly. I mean, I can't imagine people not being spooked out before that. But let's just say, as you're talking about Steve's future is in doubt, shall we say? <laughs> so I mean it's kind of funny because in my original draft of this story it was it was much much weaker and the reason it was weaker was because 90% of the story was the same but the beginning and end of the story were completely different hmm. so the girlfriend was not a character in, in an original draft the girlfriend he's hmm. talking to in on the phone who who gives him the the um the advice to stay off at this motel. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a little lackadaisical. I would say maybe lazy is what it, the way he encounters the motel and the way he tries to leave at the end, it was lazy storytelling and Steve wasn't a fleshed out character. And it, it's, it's funny to me to hear that changing two pages in the beginning and end of the story completely change everything. You know, it, frames the narrative differently it gives a different reason for steve's being and it really leaves the story on a much stronger note because as you said now steve's uh future is a little bit in jeopardy by the by the end mm-hmm. oh gosh you know and the, the, the terrible thing is is that steve is such a character as that i relate to him <laughs> so i feel like steve on some level and so when you get to the end and things are the way that they end up this is why I think people are asking, is there more? <laughs> because we don't want it to end there. <laughs> yeah, I Steve in the original version, he was I wanted him more of an everyman. You know, I wanted him more to be like a stand-in for us. And I thought in order to do that, 
I needed him to just be like a blank slate. I needed him to be vanilla. And uh, I had a couple of people read the script and they said, I love it. But Steve needs some sort of characterization. He needs to be a character. He just can't be bland. So I gave him the, he talks to his girlfriend and he's, he's kind of a neurotic guy. And he's, he's super nervous about meeting his girlfriend's family, which in turn makes the experience that he goes through at the motel all the more jarring. And I think that, yeah, that little subtle change really goes a long way in, in the person's experience reading it. I've got to read my quote on the Kickstarter. It says, the story is all too real. Frank and his team really have brought my fears to life. After reading this, I'll never look at motels the same ever again. Airbnb, anyone? <laughs> I, had a, I had a blast making that image because it kind of looks like a, a Yelp page or a um, – or kind of an air it does look like an airbnb i kind of designed it like that and those all the pull quotes on there is are, are like reviews you know guest reviews so mm-hmm. that, that was a lot of fun so i got it's it's you know the timing on this couldn't be better i mean are when are the issues going to come out that because so, you know we are so it's done it's completely finished and i'm going to do something a little different this time in the past i've waited for kickstarter funds to clear before i put in my print order which I think is the traditional way of doing it. Um, it, It's, I think when I first started or right before I started, Kickstarter used to have a week, you know, a week they'll get, we'll get clear funds. And then when I really got into Kickstarter, it became 14 days, which is, I think the norm, that's what people still think about. But when I clicked ready to launch, it said, it gave your, your whole warnings about Kickstarter. And it said your funds could take up to 21 days to clear. So that kind of, it was like, it really hit me that they're they're really pushing to have this take as long as possible, you know. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to wait 21 days, especially when I'm I'm gearing up towards a bunch of other more launches next year and the year after that. I really have them planned and scheduled out. And if I have a delay in funds, if I have a delay in the printer, if I have a delay in shipping, it really pushes everything back. So for this campaign, I'm going to do something a little different, and it ends on the 28th. And I've already committed that on the 29th, I'm going to put in my print order as soon as I know how many copies that I'm going to need. But and you could also send out the, the PDF. I, yeah, I could do that right away, too. I'm going to, I'm going to deliver all digital rewards and also print in the, put in the print order the day after. I'm just going to put it on the credit card and worrying about paying it off when the, when the funds come through. Because, and I, and that, that way, fulfillment is going to be as quick as possible without any delays. And I think that if it goes all smoothly, then I think that that's going to be my norm going forward. So I want to have swift turnarounds on all my projects from here on out. Well, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm asking about this is because the, the, the timing of this is really important. I mean, this is going to be October 28th, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was, you know that what, was another thing for Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. So I was thinking, I can't, people run Kickstarter during October, and I'm sure you thought about this, that if you run a Kickstarter during October, you think it's spooky season and let's get something that's horror. But then if you don't send out your rewards right away, especially the print ones that are not going to come through, then you don't get to actually read the book for Halloween. You know, you're not going to get it till December or later. So, so yeah, by ending it on the 28th and sending out digital rewards on the 29th, at least people get to read it. Uh, either on Halloween or a couple of days before Halloween, regardless if it's in print or, or, or digital, at least the digital version they get to experience um, during the spooky season. Because it's, that would just be ideal 
for this book. I mean, we're in the mood for this kind of a story, particularly right around Halloween. It's going to just be ideal. I mean, this you you couldn't do a better timing than to have this come out right around Halloween. So that's why I'm doing that. I mean, it, horror works any time during the year. There's just it, it's never a, a bad time for it. But Halloween is just a better than normal time to have this story come out. I just, I, I, that's why I'm anxious for you to get it in people's hands before Halloween. I think you'll get a lot, a lot more positive response than if it was come around Thanksgiving or to come around Christmas, which people are in a little different mood. Yeah. Around and also I like to tell people it's, I, I've kind of coined the term atmospheric horror. I don't know. I don't know if that's a weird <laughs> term. I'm coining it. I don't care if somebody came up with it but yeah, it's not gory yeah, I don't even call it super scary you know it's not in your face with a monster or a serial killer it creates it creates a horror through the atmosphere through an imp- impending sense of dread and uneasiness so I would definitely classify it as horror but it's it's a different kind of horror you know I, I would relate it more to even when I talk with people what keeps getting brought up is something like Beetlejuice Beetlejuice is is a comedy it's quirky but you could still call it horror you know it's it's still got that element of just weird and um weirdness to it and and out of the ordinary bizarreness so it, it could definitely go into that classification see th- th- this book is so different from your other stories that, that that's I'm, I'm just i just have to ask where did this come from i mean you know granted you know we've all stayed in these kinds of motels and stuff like that so i'm sure that's in there but what was it that inspired you to do this story because you know like modern godhood is a very different i love, i love everything i don't know i'm kind of a renaissance <laughs> i like listening to all kinds of music and i love experience all types of stories i love fantasy science fiction comedy horror even a little romance so uh i think the, this story was not birthed in kind of a horror atmosphere it was originally going to be more of a um I would call it a surrealist slice of life story where a guy encounters a motel and he's, he's not put off by it. He's not scary by it. It's kind of, I would say it's the same scenario, same kind of motel, but he's more intrigued by it. He goes on a, maybe more of a, a journey as far as exploring these different people and the different rooms that they're, they're in. And slowly but surely, as I wrote it, it involved, it evolved more into a horror setting where this guy just, more freaked out by what's going on than than uh, intrigued by it. When did you write this? What time of year? I don't remember what time of year. I might okay. have written it uh, three or four years ago. Really? Yeah. Okay, I wow. Time and it's it's sat on my. Um, I was inspired and it sat on my computer up until maybe last year. Yeah, about this time last year is when wow. I when I started working with. Uh, Albert Gekul, who's who's from who's from Turkey, and he and he did a phenomenal job with the art and designing the characters. And slowly but surely, the pages started coming in, and it, it was it was finished in time for me to kickstart in October. So I was like, let's pull the trigger and get it done. Because you know this, this with the pandemic and everything that's going on, this is uh, better than even your average Halloween. <laughs> is the time time for this story? This story rings because let's face it, we've all been you know we've been locked inside a lot of the time, and it's starting to loosen up now. But and then the whole business with masks and all this stuff is going on. It's it's an odd thing. It's it's a it's a different time 
for us. And so we're off center. And this is a time for a story like this, which is off center. And we can relate to it and go, man, it's even more off center than what we're going through now. I mean, <laughs> we can we can see this thing really happening. At least I could. And I, I have to tell you that, uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's something I think... It's going to be great. Now, let me ask you, are you going to publish this? Is this going to go, how are you going to, obviously you're going to to print them and distribute them to the Kickstarter. Are there other ways that people are going to be able to get this book? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to print it with enough leftovers for for either conventions or signings, if if that ever happens again. And and certainly enough that they can go on my store and, and, and people can buy it through my websites. I know a couple of retailers that might, they might have them. So, so yeah, and, and maybe sometime down the line, when I, if, if my books are running low, I might submit to a publisher and try to, to get it published through through a third party. So any this this book won't go away just because the Kickstarter is over. Okay, which is good. I Well, of course, now i got to ask, okay, this one, I, I think this is getting received very well. Is there a, possibly a Macabre Motel number two in your future? Uh, I mean, I never say never for anything. I always keep the door open. I always like to uh, think about possibilities. But for the most part, I'm just focused on this story right now. I don't have any kernels of a story brewing in my head. Um, I don't want to. I don't. I'm not a big fan of saying uh, people like this, so I need to make it something else that involves this. You know, I need to do something else in this universe. I people are hungry for it. I need to. To, to satisfy their hunger. I don't, if I get struck with inspiration, uh, I'm more of a, I'm, I'm kind of a selfish writer, to be honest, you know, I want to write what I want to write. And if I don't have a story in mind for this, for this universe, I'm really, I'm not going to force it just because people are interested in it, you know? Hmm. Okay. Well, you know, creative writers, that's the, you write what you like. And, you know, the, the good news is, is it re, you know, reverberates with us. Mm-hmm. And go, those are the good things that happen with that. But this, you're right. There are some of these characters, you could write one shots about them and their, their stuff. There's all kinds of stuff out there with it, but it's up to you. I mean, you know, this is something that's going to depend on your imagination and where you want to go. Yeah. And you know crazy. what? If it, I'm not opposed to letting uh, other people play in my sandbox. If I get a, a writer who reaches out to me or a creative team and says, "You know, we love this book. We love this particular character. Would you mind if we borrow them for something?" I would say, "Sure, go ahead. See what you, uh, let's see what you got." So, so yeah, I'm all about. I love these characters. I love this universe. Uh, I don't have anything in mind for them, but I wouldn't let them go away if if other people want to play with them or, or if something comes up with me in the future, I'm all, I'm, I, like I said, I never say never to any. So you know, speaking of which you have crossed over with like Lou Cooper and, and with other people and Braden Cox and all these people, uh, any chance you're going to cross over a modern godhood to the Macabre Motel? Oh, you know what? That thought never even dawned on me. Uh, again, never say never. <laughs> that would be, that would be interesting to see these various characters um, stop off at the motel for a bit. Especially Olive Girl, that I could see her, her hanging on the room o- overnight and having a good time. That could be. This, there, there's all kinds of possibilities <laughs> with this, and that's just why, you know, because crossovers are something you do and you do well. I was thinking, gosh, what if, what if one of the gods decided to stop over there? And again, what? crossovers are another thing where you can't 
force it. You really have to, it has to flow naturally. And readers can tell right away when you're forcing something, when you're not having a good time with it and you're just trying to make it work just to, just for a gimmick or to make it work. I was lucky with Luke and Braden and I did a, another crossover with, with Stephen Pinella. We, um, his, his faith Fallon, we, I crossed over with modern Testament and we put a story together and you know what? I always got super lucky. And then in all those instances, we managed to work together and we found good ways to cross them over. And we came out with fully fleshed out stories that really happened naturally, but I could see it easily taking a turn the wrong way or like, ah, we, we, we need to, we got to finish this crossover. We're so far. Let's just kind of force a story and make it work. And, it, and, and you could tell when it's not working and you make it anyway, the readers can tell when they're reading it. So I, it's really got to, the cards have to, have to be there and the, the stars have to align. And so we'll see. Just macabre godhood or uh, <laughs> macabre godhood or the modern motel. We're reclaiming the motel. <laughs> I, I can see all kinds of amazing things going on. I mean, this is just a – the imagination just sparkles when you start to think about this crazy <laughs> situation. And, and and I encourage you, if you have not already signed up on the Kickstarter, as we're talking, you're, you're about uh, three-quarters of the way there. And hopefully by the time this posts, you have met your goal and, and uh, you're heading into stretch goals and good things like that. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I got – I hasn't even been uh... – Hasn't even been a full week yet, so, so yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about it. Especially the feedback when I when I've sent it out to people, I've been kind of uh, uh, loose about sending to people to kind of get to gauge their thoughts because you know it's it's a it's a weird book and I wasn't sure how people would respond to it because it's so weird and so out there. But you know what, I've gotten nothing but positive feedback, so I've um, I think I, I'm very appreciative that people like it. Well, I have to tell you, it's something that um, <laughs> it's it's close enough to where I could really see this happening, <laughs> you know. And the, the bad news is, is that you know I I've been in that situation where I literally I wonder, you know, when I heard people when when you had all these people wandering around, and I remember being in that motel, and there's people walking outside. We can hear them talking and stuff like that. We were sort of spooked, <laughs> and you know. And here it is right here. I mean, here in this story, it, it even goes another step beyond what we went through. Well, you know what? There's a, there's a comfortability level in this story. And the, that there's a line, a, a line that separates the first half of the story from the second half of the story. And that line may be different for everybody in which you say to yourself, okay, this is too far. I would just book it and get out of here. And some people, it might be at the very beginning, as soon as he pulls into the parking lot. And some people, it may be as soon as he leaves the office. Some people may be on the walk to his room. For some people, maybe when he leaves his room. So I think that the fact that there's so many different ways somebody can read the story and, and reach that line of comfortability is – is, is telling and it's interesting. And I think that that's the reason why it resonates with so many people is that it can, it's to push the parameters of, of where you're comfortable. Well, I like is that, that word unsettling stories. I like something that makes me think and that makes me wonder how would I react in this circumstance? <laughs> and that's what this book does. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> yeah. there's, some of the stuff that goes on is this is it is out there, but the way that you tell the story it rolls forward, shall we say, that something happens and then you go another step <laughs> in a direction and then another step. 
after that. And, and, you know, it builds as you move along. So it's not, it's not something that, you know, have you, if you start at the end without going, taking the steps that you did, it would be way out there. But the way that you tell it is you, you move in the right direction. Things are happening. And, by the time we get to the end, we're going, oh, yeah, okay, I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I ease into the strangeness slowly. You that's, know? Like, that's right. It's a rabbit hole, but it's a, it's a winding rabbit hole. So I don't, I don't just don't throw the bizarreness right at you. you know? it, it happens in, in very small doses to kind of lull you into it where you're like, okay, this is weird, but it's been weird so far. So a little weirder is not that strange. So, And, you know, I had uh, Tyler Carpenter was one of the people that I had read it before I launched and he he definitely he was one of the uh, others to use the word unsettling too to describe it. And he said he said I had to read it four times to fully. Oh, he said I had to read it four times to fully gauge all the little nuances you put in the story just to make it so creepy. <laughs> so it's that's a good sign when people when sometimes when you read it more than once that's a sign that there's a depth to it that people have to experience and to do that you've got to do it more than once that's a good writing i think that that's a good a good sign that people can get a little more out of it to really get the whole story you've got to go back through it a time or two yeah because so. i mean it's it and when you're writing it and you know the whole story and how weird it's going to be and what's going to happen, you can drop little hints here and there on the on the journey to that final destination, which I, I had a blast with the, with the story, especially with the dialogue, because it's just it gave you a reason to be absurd. You know, I, I really just threw stuff out there that didn't make any sense. And a couple of people critiqued the script itself and said, this doesn't make any sense. I said, good. That's exactly what I'm on the right track. So. I, I would mention things that happen, but I don't want to do it because it would it'll spoil stuff. Yeah. But as things get stranger and, you know, the, somebody always used to make fun of that uh, strangers in the night, you know, strangers in the night and getting stranger. And that's kind of what this is. It's as we move along, it, it, it's incremental the the journey. And I think that, that was a, a smart way to do this because – as we, can, we, we the the movement makes us okay. Well, I could see that based on this. Okay, I accepted this. Now let's another step, and yeah, <laughs> it's it's described. I like the way it's described. A strangely bizarre horror one shot. <laughs> a great way to describe it. So Frank, I think this was a a, a great book. I, I I bet you somebody might want to make an animated something out of this. I could definitely see it being some sort of bizarre anime that just they just take it and they run with it and make it as super trippy and, and bizarre as possible. Kind of Rick and Morty-ish. <laughs> and that's, that, that's another way to do it. I mean, it really does lend a, lend a vibe to animation because animation has no qualms about just going super out there and super weird and super bizarre and kind of stretching the anim- animation, as it were. And that's, that really can really make this story pop and shine well i i the the limitations are not there because like in a comic you're only limited by your imagination and the imagination of the artist and you get to uh uh you know an animated show it's the same thing basically but you have actually instead of your mind supplying the movement your the the actual animation does so i could see this very easily 
Oh, and and um, especially in movies, you know, a lot of times you see characters in live action movies, they'll drop acid in order to show their acid trip. They all of a sudden, this animation would just pop in there out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely yeah, animation, I think more than a, than live action would, would work with the story a lot better. Although I have to say CGI these days has really moved along. I, I, I could see this if somebody with the right CGI capabilities came along. Yeah. <laughs> I could see this, you know, being in there, especially like that cover. I would love to see that cover right. animated. <laughs> that would okay, be fun. Any, to see. any ideas, Wayne? <laughs> so, okay. So uh, this obviously is yes, doing very well. And I expect that the Kickstarter will be a success and move along. Are there other projects you're working on that we should be aware of? I would say um, right now I'm, I'm trying to stay ahead of the curve because I have so many projects that it's funny when you're working and stuff takes years in development, and it's crazy how it all just kind of coalesces at the same time. So I have, I'm planning on running eight Kickstarters in the next two years, not including this one, for maybe I think five different projects. Uh, I'm going to be busy. January is my next one, which is one of the reasons why I'm going to uh, try to get this book fulfilled as quickly as possible. And that will be a not a one shot, but a two part story. It's going to be a sci fi kind of adventure mystery about um deep sea divers underneath antarctica so it's going to be a lot of fun and i'm kind of building out that page now because I, I can't wait to show the people uh, what else i've been working on I, I, the thing about your stuff is i have no idea what you're going to do next i mean <laughs> that sounds like some I, I i if somebody was to ask me what do you think that he'll do next i i I, I couldn't have come up with that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the general premise, it takes place. Uh, I haven't spoken too much about it with people, but the general idea is that it, it takes place in the near future where, when divers have all this technology and there are divers that are um, trying to map in uh, a recently discovered ice tunnel system in Antarctica and the divers go missing. So they send a rescue team after them and it's kind of the, the rescue team's adventure to try to figure out what happened to these divers, uh, these scientists, and there, there's a mystery involved, and they try to solve the mystery. So it, it's a lot of fun. It's pretty cool. It was inspired by um, a National Geographic article that I read. I read National Geographic re- religiously, and they did an article about diving under Antarctica. And it's like an alien world down there. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's totally different. It's, it's something like that, that's that. the creative mind at work. I I always tell the story. There was a, a, a guy by the name of Saitatan over in. England and he watched a TV show about slaughtering pigs and he came away with the story for a comic book okay. it was called Slaughterman's Creed and it was a four part thing and he does this amazing pivot at the end of the first two parts that just shocked me the guy who has watched this documentary of slaughtering pigs and came away with a comic book concept <laughs> okay and you know it's great that you can watch you know what you're watching and it gives you ideas for other comics and stuff like that. I, you see, that's the creative process, and I'm always fascinated by it and always just intrigued that your mind works that way because if I would watch that, I probably would go, oh, that's an interesting show. Mm-hmm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't come away with a story idea. So I think that's really cool. I really – I'm just – you know, I, this is what I love about – you know, this is a difference between a writer and a reader. Uh, um, my, I, sometimes it's difficult turning off my writer brain. But, yeah, I had a, a – I read this story and they, they took such great pictures of all these weird creatures that were, that were down there. They're familiar creatures, 
but they're isolated on their own path of evolution. And it's creates such a bizarre alien landscape. And I thought that this would be a, an amazing place to, to have a story take place. And so, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to when, once the macabre motel is, is out there shipped into backers hands. I'm, I'm on the next going down to, I'm, I'm suiting up and going down to Antarctica. Wow. Okay. See, this, this can be great. What you're going to do there. I don't know. And this is why I want to read it. Cause I have no idea. What's going to happen? And I like that. I like when I, if I can figure out what's going to happen, then I'm bored. If I can't figure it out, then I'm mystified. And then I've got to know. And that's, that's the thing that's going to be great about that. Well, so, that's one of the reasons I, I, I think I've heard great feedback from the Macabre Motel was that people read it and they think of Psycho and they're like, I know this story already. And then they get halfway in and they're like, I don't know this story. <laughs> <laughs> So that's a great thing. I, Frank, I, I always appreciate that about your writing. I don't know what you're going to do. And, and for me, that's uh, – for somebody who's read comics and stories as long as I have, someplace that I haven't been is, is a great place to go. So I'm always really pleased with that. Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. So let's see. As far as keeping up with you uh, on social media, what are the places people can do that? Uh, easy. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. My handle for all three is at Frank the Writer. Um, and, uh, I have a website, frankthewriter.com. I have free, sh- uh, stories and comics on there and you can sign up on, for my mailing list, which is the, the best way to keep up with what I've been working on and what I got coming out. Cool. Cool. Cause uh, believe me, you, you haven't read anything like this. <laughs> I haven't at least. And I, 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 somebody who's read stuff as long as I have, it's wonderful to go someplace new. And I, and this is the great thing about your writing. I just think it's such a special thing to go someplace. I haven't been before, like I said. And so I, I encourage people again, if you go to Kickstarter, it's under the macabre motel. Number one, a strangely bizarre horror one shot. And as we said before, it's going to conclude on Wednesday, October 28th, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. So as we're recording this, he does not yet have the the goal met. And so the daily heart attack is probably going on, unfortunately, for Frank, which means he he logs on and somebody hasn't, you know, nobody else has has backed it yet. And then there's that gasp moment. Oh, no, nobody's ever going to get so we want to save that from Frank. We want to let him get going. So let's get to that goal and get to the good stretch goals and good things. Cause I think this is one of those stories that, that I won't ever forget. I have to say it's really <laughs> good stuff. So Frank, just, I have to say, keep it up and, you know, much success with this. I'm sure it's going to be a, a successful Kickstarter and you have, we'll have to talk again when the next things start coming around early next year. I'll keep you in mind, Wayne. Thank you. that's a wrap for this episode. Until next time, keep reading your comics.